0: Okay, it's Stav Chidge here, uh, this is the Chelsea Fancast, uh, and uh, I'm joined as ever by the delightful Mr Jonathan Kidd.
1: Oh, how lovely to be described that way, Chidge. All I can yes. say is, will there be a buggers muddle again this week? Or
0: no, we that... did the buggers muddle gag last week.
1: Okay, no, not a gag. I wonder whether or not that would no, no. be There would be I... another another ancient word that we could analyse. I've, and...
0: got, I've got an ancient word for you, clusterfuck.
1: Oh, that's a modern word. Is it?
0: Too. I thought it was Anglo-Saxon. Oh, really? I must look it up. OK. Um, right, before we get into the good old season that was 1975-76, uh, a quick plug, actually, because Mark Mark will uh, be very cross with if I don't mention this, but uh, CFC UK, like us, uh, has uh, stoically carried on in spite of the fact that there's no football, and the latest issue is an absolute humdinger of an issue, even if I do say so myself, because it's absolutely dedicated to captain leader legend mr john terry himself so every article in the fanzine uh is about jt i haven't, haven't read yours yet mark
2: you haven't oh, it's in the More center yet. pages so is it? that's the psychology of any kind of book or magazine you always open up the center pages so i was delighted to see i was in those pages this issue it's a great issue yeah
0: but well, tim tim rolls will tell you the first uh the first article i read is always my own so, and mine are usually at the back, so I tend to work my way from the back to the front. But what's uh, the reasoning behind that, judge But I, I read my own.
1: Yeah, just see whether whether it is as good as you remember it, or
0: whether because uh, you know what, there are many. Re- Tim think Tim thinks it's because I've got a fat ego, and of course, you know, there's an element of truth to that. But the real, the other, the real other reasons could possibly be I can't remember what I wrote. Usually, I mean, this one I can because it's the JT issue, so even I can remember that. Invariably, I write it way before it comes comes out and I've forgotten what I wrote about so I'm intrigued to know what I wrote secondly um, I'm usually intrigued to see if he who must not be named also known as DJ has edited anything out or, or erroneously corrected grammar or I mean I remember I wrote uh, the old contemptibles I had a reference to the old contemptibles and DJ questioned this and said that's not a word and they don't ex- I said they do it's first world war history so there are always things like that that I check for um and and that's about it really uh so there you go but mainly because i've got a fat ego it has to be said (laughs) um anyway uh it's a really great issue as mark was saying i mean it is an absolute stonker i mean it also includes other than mark's great piece in the middle pages um there's an interview uh with jt done in 2015 with mickey microphone of cfc uk fame, fame so if you want a copy uh you can get them Even if there's no football and no stall, you can still get them. You can get them digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net or uh, CFC can be bought via post, priced at £2, including first-class postal delivery to order, send uh, an address via email and uh, send your address via email and pay using PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. Uh, and i mean you can get this in, in the usa as well and i think you can also get them on ebay although it's so complicated i don't understand how that works but there you go um I, I think also i'm going to give a quick plug to patreon now and I can get it out of the way um yeah patreon uh we do have a patreon account and it's it's you know lots of people are in there and they donate a little bit of money every week which is, or every month which is great because it, it helps keep this damn thing uh, on the road and uh, helps to cover uh, You'll be surprised how many costs there are involved. Uh, less so on the beer front these days since we moved out of Putney Station, but there are uh, hosting costs and you name it. Anyway, so it's very, very gratefully received. Um, I, I try hard to kind of engage with you. I put my article on on, on football uh, fans being uh, more important than no football uh, last week and i also i think put a link up to the last my chelsea which i uh, have funny enough featured me but i try and get on get stuff on there for you and it's a good way of getting hold of me if you want to so there we go patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast uh I, I commend it to you all. uh now um as i said earlier on we've got uh, an absolute privilege having mark here tonight because he wrote he's literally written the book on this the eddie Mac years uh of course um eddie mccready we last heard from last week uh, in his first match in charge being the infamous battle at White Hart Lane, uh, where Chelsea lost 2-0. And in many respects, it kind of sent us down. And uh, Eddie dispensed with a lot of the old players and chose the youth players, which was a bold thing to do. Uh, didn't quite work for him. Although, you know, on another day, Rick Wilkins would have equalised. And who knows? Who knows? History may have been changed. It
1: gone down the following year.
0: <sighs> yeah, I think that's the, that was the conclusion that we got to, funnily enough, it was. wasn't it? That's a very good point. So there you go. So um, the first thing that I picked up this season, Mark, uh, reading your book, actually, um, was... And I didn't know this. I I really... Oh, no, actually, it wasn't. This this I found at the the kind of the, the coder in Tim's book, uh, funnily enough. But Chelsea... Uh, I mean, Brian Mears actually put Chelsea into the hands of the receivers. So basically gave up the ghost and said, look, that's it, we're out of money. Um, and there was... I can't quite remember the details, but... For some reason, it didn't go through, and they kind of forgot about it, and therefore we just carried on. I mean, I've given a pretty nebulous summary of that, but what what do you remember of that?
2: Uh, I don't remember the receivership. I said I think what what I remember is almost sort of like the end of the seventy five six season, and um, a book I'd recommend to you is the first book Brian Mears wrote. I think he wrote it in the late eighties, early nineties.
0: Eighty two
2: is eighty two, um, and and he talks in the first part of that book about going at the end of the season, sort of like cap in hand to the bank. And basically, we were sort of like, you know, seconds of going out of business. You know, yeah, and yeah. It, it, a bit of gallows humour in it when he was sort of talking about going there. So, you know, at that time, you know, I was like 13 years of age. So, you know, Chelsea going out of business was just like oblivious, oblivious to me. I mean, it probably didn't appreciate the time. It's only in later years, as you more get into the history yeah, you know, and, and, and you read and hear about the club. How close we were, you know, to no longer being here.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what really struck me, actually, Mark. It, it, I, I had no idea that it it was that close. When you when, when you when, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who know what this means. But if you go, if you put your put your uh, company into receivership, you're basically going into administration, and yep. very very. I mean, I know I've been there, but uh, very very few. Uh, yeah, I mean, my company went down owing half a million J.K. I mean, you know, as the, I took I took that old adage: if I go down, I go down in flames, quite literally.
1: Are you Are you a crook? No. Oh, okay.
0: Why would that make me a crook?
1: well i I know that you can get away with it but really are you a crook no no
0: because i I wasn't trying to get away with it we were trying to keep the company going so no we we were trying to pay our creditors back but it we just got screwed we made some bad decisions it wasn't all on my head i i I was one of several directors but you know when you put your company well how did how did this
1: escape the press though the press didn't go for this at all
0: you don't remember it
1: I don't remember it. No, no,
0: no. Well, I mean, as I said, it was news I don't to remember me. remember it being a.
2: Mark, am I wrong not to remember it? I can't. No, you're, you're not, Jonathan. As I said, you know, it's, it's only more re- recent years, like reading the Brian Mears book. I didn't yeah, read yeah. it at the time. I, I got it a few years ago when I was researching Eddie Mac. And you see how close we were to going out of business because it. I don't remember it being reported at the time. No, no.
1: Yeah. I wonder yeah. whether he had a few ins with people with it, or he was very secretive about it, or the bank just bailed him out. So that was the end of that. He didn't feel it necessary. That didn't. It never. It never came across like that. But it. It, it was. I mean, when you think about it, it, it made obvious sense. I mean, I. I, I read in, in in your book, in fact, I think that they were three million in debt. Is that right? Is that right, Mark? They were. It was three million yeah, at the
2: time. and I think if, I know. I know. I know we're probably going to talk about the crowds of that season, but if you look at it as a business model, when the East End was built, yeah. they had to survive to, for the model to work on 30,000 crowds. Now, if we go through the crowds of the 75-6 season, there was very few occasions where we got anywhere near 30,000. There was a lot of occasions where we were a lot below 20,000. So if on a business model, you're getting 10,000 less every single home game, that 's going to impact and you know, have an impact on your bank balance
1: and was that just paying off the interest? I think it was wasn 't it? it was yes yeah. Uh, yeah yes it was two grand
0: a week or something they were having a fork out yeah. which doesn 't sound a lot of money these days, but in those days it was a lot of money, and of course, they'd spent you know two over two million on the stand I mean this was really the the summation of tim 's book uh, that we 've been relying heavily on for the last few weeks, Jonathan that you know that the the preceding season was really the shit or bust moment. You know, they'd spent all the money on the stand. They'd got rid of their star players and hoiked in some money for that. But a whole coalescence of bad shit happening at the same time, not least falling attendances because, of course, the football was rubbish, stuffed them. And they were a good, on average, 10,000 below. I mean, they needed 35,000 to break even, apparently. And even if they were breaking even, that wasn't enough because of the money that's spent on the stand. So I think the summation of this is that, I didn't realise, and these two boys who were there, they didn't realise, actually, just what a parlous situation, what a what a, a delicate situation Chelsea were in. I mean, you know, the club could have gone out of business. And- there's,
2: an, there's an interesting chidge ch- as well. It's quite a brilliant story. It's it's, it's classy Chelsea, I, I talk about it. I think it might have been in Tim's book or Brian Mears' book. When Chelsea got relegated, they broke out the champagne. Yeah. So Why? they took a load of bottles of champagne down to the dressing room. And, you know, so I don't know how much for a club, you know, on the brink of going out of business, you know, <laughs> spent on champagne that relegation game. But there's probably a touch of class about that as well. We may have no money, but we're going to drink ourselves stupid of some high quality champagne. Well, wasn't
1: it they were also saying that they felt that this was a turning point because it meant that they could go into a lower division and regroup and win it and come back? That was supposed to be the idea, I'm, I, I have the impression that I got from that. Was a kind of positive looking for a slightly mad positive out of a negative, but uh, and also uh, they probably had some very cheap champagne in the in
0: the Chelsea
1: restaurant. Well, no, the no, really I, open Chelsea, it retail. wouldn't
0: have been cheap, JK, because I, I think again, I forget now, I've read so many books recently on Chelsea that they're all merging into then, one. Of
1: course, it would have been unbelievably expensive because yeah, he liked having that competition, didn't he? Yes, he had that. According to, to, uh, to Tim's book, he had it was that Tim, was it with yeah, the competition with the Cobolds, the, uh, the Ipswich, absolutely, the Ipswich. Uh,
0: did you like the story yeah. about the fact that they used to have that? You're right. They used to have a competition to see who could outflash each other in terms of hospitality. God. And he turned up to uh, Portman Road with a whole salmon. Yes. And uh, Cobbold said, well, I'm, you know, we're not cooking it. You can cook it yourself. So apparently Brian Mears did, yeah. <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Um, The, the main changes, uh, you know, from uh, this season to last season in terms of players was the fact that, you know, Eddie McCready had made quite a big play, uh, as you know, for leaving out some really key players for Chelsea in the in the Spurs uh, match that came towards the end of the season. Uh, but this season, saw Chelsea start without John Hollins, which almost seems unconscionable for those that, that loved to watch him play for many, many years. But also Steve Kemba, who arguably had been bought in, should never have been brought in to replace Alan Hudson, but kind of irked alan hudson so much that huddy left and of course the dear that the guy that i never really knew never really saw him play had no idea. all i knew was that you know the crowd didn't like him and they called him mary but all these games i've been watching on youtube with where peter houseman features the more i'm in love with this guy and what a fantastic player he was anyway kemba hollins and houseman are all gone um Peter Bonetti's buggered off to the States because he's had enough. Um, interestingly, Eddie pleads with him to get him back. So it was very much out with the old and in with the new. And of the new players, the ones that were featuring early on, Mark, were obviously Ray Wilkins, who was made the captain at 18. Uh, his brother, Graham, John Sparrow uh, as a left back. Uh, Gary Stanley, who, who looks exactly the same today, by the way, a bit greyer. Uh, beautiful man uh, Ian Britton the lovely Ian Britton who I used to love uh, and Teddy Maybank who as Mark will no doubt tell you is, is more of a legend now around the bridge than he probably was at the time but it was a very new look side wasn't it it was kind of the cream of the youth that were beginning to break through Mark very,
2: very much so uh, and if you do the contrast between the side that started that, that home game for the seventy-four five season and the side that started the first home game the following season, ironically against the same opposition, Carlisle United, mm. there was only two players remaining from that side. So it was very much a a, a really freshen up, you know, new new look Chelsea side, a new goalkeeper. He'd played before, but Steve Sherwood was number one. And I think if I remember right, I think Peter Benetti was given a free transfer at the end yeah. of that season as well. So, Peter Benetti actually was, you know, Eddie letting go. Um, um, and I think Benetti only came back because John Phillips, um, Derek Richardson and Steve Sherwood were going to be the goalkeepers. And I think in a pre-season friendly, I think John Phillips broke his leg. So, all the photos of the 75-6 season when you have that photo with all the players at the start of the season. The two goalkeepers in the photo are Derek Richards and Steve Sherwood because John Phillips was injured. And we'll probably talk later as the, the, the early part of the season progressed. You're right. Eddie brought um, Peter Benetti back because we we needed a goalkeeper to stabilise the team.
1: We did indeed. He was I mean, still great with the, the odd great save. He looked a bit he looked a bit less sprightly. There was always a, a, a bounce about Benetti that I loved. He was always on his toes. He was always looking for a quick quick way of putting of getting a defence into attack and I mentioned this before the the beautiful way that he would throw the ball out excellently if somebody gave him an angle and uh, and he drop kicked the ball he had a decent drop kick but it was this ability to actually play players in that was so excellent and his ability to come for crosses and he was always getting in the he was, he was injured so often because he was always in in the in the mix of it he was always making a huge effort always getting there he was a a a, a to a very different-looking kind of goalkeeper from goalkeepers nowadays because he didn't have that bulk. He was just a... He was cat-like. He sprung. He had this little bounce about him all the time. He was... Uh, I think there have been too many too many games the season before where he'd still been recovering from injury or not quite up to it. But it was interesting to see when he did get back. He just didn't look out of place at all. I, I found... Um, the, the whole business of, of 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 you you might know more about this Mark than me that that why what happened with Kemba Hollins and Hausman did he just think did he think I want everybody to go or was he advised by the board because they were bigger wage earners or was it that he himself thought I've fallen out with these guys was there
2: that because no, an important. There wasn't even a falling out. So, like, and Eddie's covered it in the book. And, you know, when, when we talked to him about it, when he was over, you know, he, he spoke to each of them one by one. He thought, if I'm going to make that difficult decision, these are my friends, these are my colleagues, these are my teammates. Yeah. Um, he, he took that managerial decision. He had faith in the youth because uh, even when Sexton was manager, Eddie was already working with the youngsters in the reserves and the youth team. Yeah. Um, so he he really had high hopes for that side. And I think he said at the start of the season, give us two years, you know, give us two years uh, and I'll, I'll get us back in the top flight. He asked for patience, you know, and he said it'd be a season of rebuilding development and he was putting his face in the youngsters. There was yeah. no falling out. Right. I think he just took that decision, you know, that he was going to go with them and so he let he let them go. The strange thing, if, if you look back to that team from 74-5, the 75-6, and Chidge, you talked about Peter Hausman. You know, I, I thought it was strange Peter Hausman went because... We played him as a left back the previous season, um, but he was a, a proper left winger. The very player we brought in, John Sissons, just never played that season.
0: No, He was awful too. He was yeah,
2: awful. Yeah, but, but why did we sell John Sissons and keep Peter Hausman? That would have been a far yeah. better thing well, to no. do. I felt, and
1: also, why to Oxford? I know they were in the second oh, division okay. at the side, but why? And only for 40,000, I think he went. You just, yeah. hang on. Surely he could have, he what was he, twenty six. Yeah, was a, it, I, I, I was really bemused about. At the yeah, time, I was absolutely bemused about that as a supporter. I remember thinking, "I don't get this. Why he's gone there? Why he's gone for such a small amount of money?" Um, and surely other clubs would have come in for for him because he was a a class act when it came to crossing. My goodness me, much just, much underrated. I uh, think. It was, it was like, well, what people used to get pissed off was he would disappear and look lightweight from time to time. There was a bloke next mm. used to sit next to me um, um, when I was sitting with my dad who would just. An American guy, uh, where he wore a new York, New York, um, um uh, what you call it, the baseball best, hat. Yeah, your yeah, baseball hat, and um, and used to shout out, um, "Come on, Mary!" you would also have a go at the base, uh, the uh, the uh, the ball boys. Come on, ball boy, get that ball in quicker! And uh, and, and it was, was, and his
0: name is Bruce Buck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, <laughs> never <know. laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. But uh, it, it was. He, he Do you he look like Larry David? It, I, they were they were so showbiz where my dad sat that uh, uh, they were writers. Well, and- Bruce,
0: and- Bruce, I think actually, to be fair, and uh, Bruce, if you're listening, I apologise for the cheap shot. Uh, don't 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 sue me, please. Uh, anyway, uh, from what I understand, I think Bruce Bruce. Uh, I think he because we talked. I've talked to him about this, but I think he turned up in the mid eighties. Actually, he did. Oh, did he, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah this,
1: was, this guy was there from from sixty uh, seven. I remember him from because you had. Um, you had John Mills, had Richard Attenborough. You had uh, Vidal Sassoon.
0: Where where are you sitting now? You're in the East Stand now, it's right? The old
1: East Stand. Yeah, 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 I used to go and used to use my dad's ticket occasionally when he was working, but otherwise I would go with him, and he'd walk walk to the office with me, and then I'd go off to either the shed or the, go around the other side. Of course, you could walk round whichever side Chelsea were attacking. We would then walk round and then just just place ourselves in the in the front, always in the front of the the shed or the front of the. Uh, of the other end, and you didn't have the the, the way support in that situation. Well, I think they're in the corner, so you could just sit, you stand to the left of the goal and watch. But um, uh, uh, I digress. No, someone was 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 could be so excellent, and he only played him left back because he was trying to play a, a, an advanced form of, of 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 having him as an extra winger. Wasn't he? That was that was his view, old um, Sexton at the time. He was very advanced with these things, and it didn't work. But no, it was such a shame. And then Hollins, ah, I'm, I just, I really, I know he want he wanted to have a big change, but he's only 28. Hollins, I know he then, but he was then, you know, he went to Queens Park Rangers and was fan, awesome. f- fantastic. Yeah, Queens Park Rangers. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I went and watched Queens Park Rangers occasionally. They were brilliant. Mm. I know, loyal supporter,
2: Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I did not oh, well that Oh, no, season. not you as well. Too brute. I, no, I grew up, I grew up in Wilsden, so I was surrounded <laughs> by QPR fans. And that's yeah. 75-6 season. Oh. And there were the times where you'd go to Chelsea, you'd go to Fulham, you'd go to Brentford. And you
1: loved it also. You loved watching
2: Webby. I loved watching Webby as well. I loved it. It was like watching Chelsea. Dave Sexton yeah. was manager. Dave yeah. Webb, John Hollins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and also some cracking players. That Thomas, who played on the wing, bloody hell, he was good, didn't you? Yeah. And Stanley Bowles. So bizarrely, Sexton ended up with a side that achieved everything that he should have had at Chelsea. He had not, a bit not, of flair, and he not, had some. He had some really good working players as well. Uh,
0: not, oh. not Stanley Bowles. Wank, wank, wank.
1: No, no, no. That wasn't. No, that was Alan Ball.
0: Alan Ball, wank, wank, wank. Yeah, was, I, I, one Ball. of my fa- listen. One of my favorite Chelsea songs of all time. Even though I was never there to really sing it. Uh, and I actually did end up singing this to Super Jock in in the Butcher's Hook after a very drunken whatever the Chelsea annual lunch or whatever. I got absolutely plastered with Beth Wild and uh, Rick Glanville, and I ended up I ended up I think with Martin. It might be Martin Wickham. Can't remember. Anyway, I ended up in the Butcher's Hook, and Super Jock came in. Everybody had been singing the Tommy Baldwin song because Tommy was in there, and Jock looked a bit upset that nobody was singing. So I started <laughs> out, I started off <laughs> a very very throaty. Super Jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles. La 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 la, and he loved it. His little face lit up. We drag digress as we so often do, do, but um. there's something I I, want to ask you. In fact, I'm going to both ask you these questions now. But there's one one thing I want to say before you answer them. But it might give you a chance to kind of mull it over. Really what I know, because I know that you were there then. Number one, what did you think of all of these changes? Eddie coming in, the youth coming in, the old guys going out. And also, what were your hopes and fears for the start or at the start of the season? But before you answer that, it's just occurred to me, actually, something that Mark said a minute ago. Eddie McCready was kind of like a weird amalgam of of frank lampard and jody morris you know an ex-player arguably a legend at the club for a long 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 time really loved him and and yet he'd been in charge of the youth team before he got kind of promoted so it is like a weird amalgam yeah. of frank and jody and in a sense completely different circumstances i grant you but in a sense doing the same thing like that frank and jody have done this year anyway enough you can answer uh, Jonathan, do you want to answer the? What did yeah, you think yeah. of the well, changes?
1: I was. I, 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 I go back to Kemba, Hollins, and Houseman. I, I I thought that having those three playing would have would have been perfect, a perfect balance with the with the youth coming in, a good, perfect blend. But he was willing to get rid of them. Well, I suppose Kemba never worked properly. He'd have excellent games and then disappear. I just like the fact he he was always good at flicking the ball. He made an effort, Kemba, and he he got stuck in. And uh, um, but um uh as with every season you start off with 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 a, a, aspiration that they're going to be excellent you never go in thinking i think they're going to fall apart you don't
0: know you, you would have you, been about 20 now wouldn't you so you'd yeah, have been a bit more yeah, yeah, knowledgeable and on top yeah, of things yeah yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah i was but um i was at uni and um uh i couldn't get to all the matches but i could still use my dad's ticket my dad had a, a seat in the uh the new east stand upper um with all its dreadful queues for the lose. they hardly had any any <laughs> lose working and that's terribly important for me even then and dreadful. I've gone about this. this. They'd obviously given the refreshments, they'd franchised it out to people who found obscure, I don't know, foreign brands in warehouses. Because you'd go, I've just paid two and six. I don't know what the fuck this is. I don't know what I'm eating here it <laughs> Well, m- much the same to today. Cues, cues. what? Well, it's great similar. But dreadful queues for everything. Miles and miles. ago. could think, fuck! I'm always having to queue for everything because everything was half finished in the stand. But this, but I had a lovely seat with with Jonathan Paris and his fabulous dad and and uh, and um, uh, and Deborah, his, his sister, and. Uh, and we, we we were near the front and it was a, you know great seat loved it loved watching but it wasn't there all the time so um w- was in and out of certain matches but tried to get back when I could i wasn't I was trying to play for the uh, university uh, first 11 but um uh, i was up at hull university and they they were slightly um tony galvin was a contemporary of mine at the uh, at the university who was um, um playing for hull city i think at the time he was a very decent player and he was studying uh, um, Russian, if I remember rightly. And in fact, yes, there's supposed to be stories about Galvin when playing against Russians for Spurs and Russians saying what they were going to be doing and him just listening and then passing on what uh, what they were about to do at the free kick because nobody realised that he had a degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, flitting in and out, always looking at the newspapers. This is why I was saying, never knowing about the fact the club was, about, was possibly going into receivership. Um, keen to see what was happening, trying to get back, missed out on the midweek games, and... Um, but saw most of the uh uh I know in and out lots of tried to go tried to go to the Hull game I remember um uh in the second in the second division and was um was told that I couldn't go i was doing some acting thing with the university I did a French and drama degree and um but yeah I, you start off thinking is I think is this going to work with the kids we look forward to it is this going to be great will this how's he going to make them play and unfortunately um you will see you 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 certain players you 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 really really admire and almost fall in love with. I loved Maybank, I loved the effort that Maybank made. I always loved it. I think he was a bit raw, but he would always fling himself at everything. There was a there was a kind and he had a elements of skill. You just felt I don't know that you could, certain players you relate to. You know I, I'm 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 a great fan of Mickey Thomas. I always will be because of the huge effort that he made, as well as being really skillful with a great shot. And Maybank really made a great effort. I found always I found Ray Wilkins. Slightly too effete for me. He was classy, huge heresy. I know, know, burn the heretic. I know, I know completely, (laughs) but I'm slightly. I like the effort. I found he he was silky and he was he played wonderfully in that thing we saw last week against Spurs. He played wonderfully in the game despite uh, missing a sitter, but then it just faded out, get clattered a bit. I thought some of them were awful, some of them played dreadfully, and then suddenly look at some of the matches he gave us as references, and they're just. Let's just you think. Well, nobody's making, nobody's marked anybody. Nobody's made any effort. What's he doing? So it's difficult. You just you. And then they play very very well. They'd have a, and a game where you think, no, oh, it's all come together. So uh, it was it was the I think as you have put it, it's the it was the inconsistency of it, which you expect with youth. You you've got to accept it with you. But but when you're you know you come in and think is, we want it to work. The the feeling was we were going to bounce back immediately. That's right. always the case with Chelsea. You always feel that every single time. You think, "Yep, they'll get something together. They'll do something, and they'll just come straight back up again, and we'll be dealing with it." And it became apparent that this wasn't going to be the case. I mean, in fact, the the poor Wilkins brother. There, the the own goal he scored, and I think later on in the season, I don't know, whether that was a three nil. I can't remember which game it was.
2: Oh, Bolton away.
1: Bolton away. The the old goal, the own goal he scored. Um, was, was a low I remember thinking in that uh, for some strange reason I fear I may have been there just because um, uh, I, once again it was it wasn't far away from me when I was at university and somebody may have said let's go and watch Chelsea this weekend I'll have gone yeah good idea and it was uh, I remember thinking yeah I'm, I, I'm, uh, I don't wish to remember that ever again that old go- own goal and of course I have remembered it because we're doing this program and it's been dredged
2: <laughs> up But even even worse, Jonathan, it wasn't just one own goal in that game. There was two own goals because we were winning the game with an Ian Britton goal. And then David Hay, because I talked to Graham Wilkins about his own goals and I've got a lot of time for Graham. He's a really lovely guy. And he sort of said, you know, and obviously he thought the world had fallen in when he (laughs) scored that own goal. But he said... The only consolation was he thought David Hayes' own goal was far better than his. <laughs> brilliant, far,
0: brilliant. Far
1: better, as in far worse. Yes, great. Far worse, yeah, far <laughs> yeah, worse
0: own yeah, goal. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, yeah. Mark,
0: what, you know, what, what did you think of the changes at the beginning of the well, season and well, what were your again, hopes and fears?
2: Well, again, well, I don't know about hopes and fears because I think well, the uniqueness about that season for me is like my first game for Chelsea was in 1971. And that season was the first time I went to football without adult supervision. So there was no adults, no parents. So you're going with your friends, going with people you know, um, and that excitement of going to football, um, because you know, whether the rights and wrongs. is when you're under your parent guard, you probably behave better. You know, so there was an excitement of you know, a, you know, a strange thing for me, but you know, no one looking over my shoulder, uh, and also that side. It was a young side. You know, so they, they were no older than me. Some of them, only a few years older than me. Um, And you are, in any season, and I'm no different now. I am an eternal optimist. I actually still, to this day, think Chelsea will win every game we play. So, I was just so excited to be going to Chelsea on my own. I was so excited to see that team. And, you know, so excited because I thought we were favourites at the start of the season. I thought we'd romp home and win that league, no problem.
0: Brilliant. Okay, well, I mean, the beginning of the season, in a sense, kind of foretold what was about to come. I mean, we... We beat Bristol City one nil. Bristol City, I think, went up the, at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, we beat them at home one nil. We then drew one one with Norwich. We then lost unbelievably to uh, a Fulham side with Bobby Moore in it. Should be said they were uh, a decent side. That well, they been side, in, yeah, they'd been yeah, they'd been in the Viv, FA Cup. Viv
1: Busby, yeah. yeah. Uh, I went. which Mullery. Mean, I went to the semi-final in uh, at Main Road and watched Fulham play. Um, who did they play? Bloody
2: Birmingham Earth. City.
1: Birmingham yeah. City. That's right, yeah, and yeah. and Mitchell scored, and my mate—I went because one of my schoolmates and was a mad Fulham fan—got got so elated by it that um, that he ran on the pitch, and he was the only person to do so, and from the but, Fulham fans. And funnily enough, got arrested, and we didn't see him again, and we don't know what happened to him. I mean, well, obviously, you haven't seen him subsequently, but uh, but from that period, it was uh, it was it was absolutely weird because we all went back on the train without him, as he well. We spent the night
0: in the cells, I suppose. We lost lost to to Fulham, and then we lost to Sunderland. These are both away matches. Now, Sunderland went up as champions this uh, this year. Bristol City got promoted too. And West Brom was our next match. We drew 0-0 with them, and they also went up. So we had a pretty tough start as it piled out. And then we had uh, Carlisle at home, and we won that 3-1. And then we uh, had Oxford at home, and we won that 3-1. And it's all looking great. And then we played Luton at the end of August. And we did not win a match, dear children, until 11th uh sorry until the 18th of october when we play Blackpool at home so as i said that kind of early start winning a few drawing and losing too many seemed to kind of proliferate the season and as i think we were saying a minute ago i think you, you were saying wasn't it mark or jonathan that it was very very inconsistent you know we we drew with forest who you know two years later would be or three years later would be european champions or, or winning uh, winning the league uh we had an unbeaten run in November and it all looked to be good again. And then, you know, we had only one win in December and that was actually against Sunderland who got promoted. And then in the last nine games, we didn't win anything at all. We had a few draws, lost quite a few. I mean, it was up and down like a yeah, yo-yo. It must have been doing your sweet, a Sweden mark that season.
2: Well, I think it's it's an interesting one because I was, I was looking at sort of the size that played and you, know, you look at that first side at home, and we talked earlier about how different it was to the 74 side. But if you look at the first 15 games, um, and we talked about Eddie having a bit of Frank Lampard and Jody Morris in him, he also had a bit of Cloudy Ran- Ranieri in him because the constant for that first part of the season was Mickey joined John Dempsey with a central defensive partnership. The midfield never changed. It was Ray Wilkins in Britain and Gary Stanley, and then Charlie Cook, Brian Brasson played certain games. But he tinkered with the forward line for that early part of the season constantly. You know, if you look at the first three games, we had three different setups. We had Maybank Hutchinson, Maybank Garner, Maybank Swain. Then he quickly changed it to Garner Swain, then Langley Swain, then Hutchinson Garner, then Langley Garner, then Hutchinson Langley, then you know, Maybank, Hutchinson, we went three up front. And then I think there was one game where it began to turn in November. We had the three big blokes up front. You had Ian Hutchinson, Teddy Maybank and Bill Garner. And strangely, with that format we started to win games. Um, so Eddie really tinkered with our forward line. And I think he said himself, yeah, he was trying to find something that you know fitted. And he tried every possibility. And I think it was only in the latter part. And you mentioned those last eight games. And I think the interesting thing about those last eight games, even though we didn't win any, I think we began to sow the nucleus of the future 76 77 season. And I think the side that finished the 75 6 season is the one that started the next. And by then, you know, the legend that is Jock Finiston was in the side by then. But at the start of the season, Jock wasn't even in the picture, despite mm. breaking Jimmy Greaves records for goals. He was out on loan at Cardiff, you
1: know. Why, why did um, uh, Eddie Mack keep Hutchinson in the side if he's the only? The only oh, uh, and Garner, Why did he carry on with them? I
2: suppose you know their experience. Probably up front, he probably was you know building on, and hopefully that rawness that Teddy Maybank has. Because he started with Teddy up front, you know, with yeah. Hutch, that would you know rub off on onto him. But he chopped and changed so much in that early part. And I think I think even Eddie said in the book, you know, I think he was struggling to find the person that would score score the goals. And I think I like. I like Ted as a player. There's something about a number nine as a fan, you know, even to this present day. And I think the interesting thing is, if you talk to Ted and you talk to Jock, if you ask who's the better football of the two of those, who would you say?
1: Who was the second
2: person? Yeah, with... you know, if Ted and Jock Finiston, who's Jock the better Finiston, footballer? Yeah,
1: yeah, who's um, the best be- well, I, I, I'd say I, Jock. I think Jock was a better. Uh, shot uh had better shooting ability and he you'd be right that, that yeah. the target much more yeah. often and choose his options if you looked at him whereas teddy was much more of a it was almost like a he was a um he, he, he would he'd, sh- he'd scrag you he was a he'd get stuck in and go for headers some of the headers he scored were were angles slightly weird angles but a kind of um he just had a go at stuff it was his effort it was his effort, was his effort. but yeah jock jocks i once again i have no idea you would probably know why was he sold? Hundred thousand to Sheffield United. Well, once again, was that was that paying for the for the debt again? Was that what happened?
2: I, I I I I don't know, and I think even Jock doesn't know why why he was sold. Maybe you know Ken Shiela wasn't prepared to take a chance on him that Eddie was, but I think Jock is a key part of the 75-76 season. Yeah. Yeah. I think only when he comes into the side, yeah. um, and the, the number of games Jock played, and you look at other than Ray Wilkins, Ray Wilkins. Was top scorer that year, but all those forwards that Eddie tinkered with Teddy, Ian Hutchinson, Bill Garner they all got about five goals each yeah. throughout the whole of the season. Jock came in for the last eight games and got five goals in eight games, you know. And I, I think Eddie found his goal scorer, but it took him the whole season to discover that.
0: One of those goals was against Southampton towards the end of the season, and we were talking about this before we went on air, and it was a cracking goal, great header. Proper, oh, proper really, strikers yeah, header.
2: Re- really good header.
0: Yeah. 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 He's but, a good player, Jock.
2: I, no, that's, that's the thing. That's the point I was asking about. Yeah. You know, if you ask who's the better footballer, you know, I've asked Jock and Teddy the same question, and they both say Teddy was the better footballer, the better player. Jock was the better goal scorer. Yeah. He just had something about him in the penalty area. He could sniff yeah. out a goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's what you want, really. Yeah. Um, It's very interesting, actually. I mean, Jonathan, you know, Mark's been very eloquent there in in terms of some of the players. You know who stood out for you? Who impressed? Who who disappointed over over the course of the season? I was
1: always disappointed with David Hay, um, who clearly had a kind of there was a slinkiness to him that you thought he should be playing in a better side. But he's I, I suspect
0: he thought that too.
1: Yeah, he did. I think he did. I think he thought he'd come in to be in the first division. But it was interesting in the. Um, he was clearly very skillful. I was always bemused as to why he ended up playing centre-half, because he was a terrific midfield player for Scotland. I just think that the, the he never quite ever came back to um, the level we expected of him. But you could see he, his ability with crosses and his ability with passes. He just seemed to be caught on the ball. My big feeling with them for the whole of the season was this this inability to this constant giving the ball away. I mean, I mean, Charlie Cook played out of his skin. Actually, was that's another person we did he didn't get rid of. Was that because they were big mates, um, or was it that Charlie Cookie
0: did, had been brilliant the season before? He was, if you he remember. was
1: brilliant, he, absolutely. And I think as he we said we said in Tim's book he said he said I trained a bit harder. And you think well, perhaps he was led astray a little bit in the mm. in the seasons before. But yeah, when he when he um, he was somebody who you relied on for, and he played him as a. Uh, in midfield much more. He played with war number four, didn't he, a lot, um, Charlie? I remember being slightly bemused by the fact that he started off as 11 and then got this four. But he was... Uh, um, he, he, but it, even he gave... The, it's this giving the ball away, I think, that seems to single the, this kind of team out from a team that you think is going to get promoted. Is giving the ball away when you're attacking, and, and which is something we, we despair of nowadays in particular. Is it happens so much less playing uh, at the top of the Premier League. But when you then see this same thing happening and teams who have been under the cosh um, just managing to get up the other end and get a shot and probably score from it, you then despair at the fact that this is just being each week, this appears to be one of their uh, um, their errors. Um, Kenny Swain was always one of my favourite players, not least because he had a, a bizarre backside that we always felt that Branagh was the next man with the same shaped ass to play for Chelsea um but uh Lynn who I sit next to would know more about that as well because she she always He was helps. a
0: good player JK well Kenny
1: Swain was oh, I thought I, mm. I really was fond of him I was really fond of him you could tell that he was he was a really really class act actually um
0: ended up winning a, a European did, Cup did, medal with Villa didn't indeed, he indeed he did and um
1: um, I'm trying to think who else I liked. Uh, I was never a great fan of, of, of Droy, I have to say, because of his inconsistency. He was a bit slow and seemed to get turned e- easily. I was disappointed that um, that Dempsey was on his way out because he'd been so terrific in the, uh, the 70-71 season. And um, But I think he got injured as well. Um, uh, Ray Wilkins n- never quite did it for me. It was always a slight fear, th- feeling of uh, dear, he's not quite up with it um Ian Britton I think I said last week uh, always made a great effort but was, was never never quite good enough um and um I'm trying to think who else and Ronnie Harris was Ronnie Harris you just felt that perhaps he'd found his level playing in the the second division he didn't seem to be as filthy <laughs> you can tell him that and, and uh yeah um I'm trying to think who, who. Name me, name me anybody else. Well,
0: okay, we also had this year. We had Steve Wicks coming into the side.
1: Yeah, we, yeah I, he was very raw. Very. very Gary raw. Stanley.
0: Gary Stanley played 32 games in the season.
1: Yeah, you always want. Well, he always had a. He had a fantastic shot. You wanted him to shoot more. That's what I remember about him because he scored some great goals, but he he didn't shoot enough for me. Um, uh, no, it was, it, was, it was the inconsistency. It was the fact that they were youth, so you appreciated that. It was the fact that they hadn't bounced back. But once again, once at um, the, the end of the season, uh, I think Eddie Mack made a statement, didn't he, about I've, I've now got the side I think that can get back. You get back into the first division. You had faith the following season something would happen. There's always this, uh, I'm exactly the same as Mark, there's always this optimism at the beginning of a season. You think the team are going to do well. For whatever reason, you all normally hope it's because they made several interesting signings. So, of course, if it was, you know, when it was uh, um, Damien Duff and uh, all that lot, you you uh, and Adrian Mutu, you, you knew something was going to happen. In this instance, there were no big signings, but you thought he's got the youth. Um, they occasionally played really well. Let's hope he can maintain the consistency.
0: Excellent. Right. Well, in uh, part three, uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that the attendances fell like a stone. Uh, but the away support um, was much lauded, actually, and it'd be worth talking about that. Uh, also, the biggest match of the season, Palace in the Cup. Uh, I will say no more about it than that. Uh, I want to talk about Ray Wilkins because, unlike Jonathan, I thought the man is a god. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah but as 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 it, as does mark you know we will burn we will have a sacrificial burning of the heretic in part 3 uh, but before we get to that uh, it's a probably a really good juncture to 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 give the old chelsea specials a plug which are the whole range of interviews that me and martin king did and then put up on podbean as podcast because they feature you know various players from this era not enough from this particular era it has to be said uh, but nevertheless, well worth a listen. So just to give you an idea, we've got Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tabling, Ron Chopper-Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, and Paul Cannaville, uh, as well as Danny Harkins, would you believe? So they're, they're well worth a listen. These guys absolutely you know, gave it up for me and Martin, and 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 really, you know, open open their soul and what it was like to play for Chelsea to us, which is great. So there we go. I commend them to you. Chelsea special dot podbean dot com. There's a small charge of two ninety nine for each podcast to cover the cost of the production we were paying the players to to take part uh, so subscribe to podbean go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then when you get to the the main page you just uh, scroll down uh, any one of the interviews you want you click on buy single episode now that directs you to the payment wall and then you can download it so there you go uh, but there's also a website chelseaspecial.com and of course we're on twitter at chelsea underscore special so give us a follow and we're on facebook as the chelsea special we'll be back for part three in a second
1: fans' real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. FootballFancast.com
0: Welcome back, this is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stamford Chidge, uh, and I've got the wonderful Mr Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera! And uh, the equally wonderful but arguably more knowledgeable, Mark Mean. Hello, uh, and I and I say that not just to wind Jonathan up because uh, Mark, I agree. Mark, I agree. Yeah, he has. He's got, Mark's got on it. I mean, if you if you follow Mark on Twitter, which actually we should I should say now, Mark, what's your Twitter handle? At Eddie Mac.
2: Eddie Mack's Blue Army B A W A.
0: Eddie Mac B A W A. If yeah. you follow Mark on Twitter, you know whenever there's a question asked about Chelsea, Mark will come back with chapter and verse on what happened. I mean, I always used to think that Kelvin Barker. Was the uh, most knowledgeable person in the world, particularly on the 1980s uh, decade of Chelsea. But I think Mark Mark is is, is fast becoming, uh, you know, certainly in the 70s. But Mark comes out with stuff from articles at the Chelsea Independent. It's just, Mark, you are an engaging follow on Twitter. I'll leave it at that. But uh, also, of course, uh, one of the main reasons uh, we've got you on tonight, of course, is because this is all about uh, Eddie Mack's blue and white army. And, of course, you authored the definitive book of this period of Chelsea, Eddie Mac. Eddie Mack. Uh, and, I, and one of the things I love about your book is the fact that... It doesn't say who wrote it. You're just basically the book is written by Eddie, Max, Blue, and White Army. But I, I can definitely reveal that you are one of the authors, as was Neil Smith, Mark Worrell's fingerprints are over this because I could tell with some of the writing. Yep. Who else?
2: There's uh, a couple. There's a couple of people. Pe- it was a. It was a team effort. There was. It five, was, wasn't it? There was five of us that put that book together. Yeah, a labor of love.
0: I've got to say, DJ must have been one of them.
2: He was indeed. And Kelvin. And Kelvin. Yes, I've got you. F- house house. You got I got a full, all five. You've, you've got a full house. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: brilliant. Well, it is brilliant. Mark, uh, you know, Mark, where can you get this book? I mean, actually, a few people have uh, posted on Mixler saying thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for having Mark on. Thanks, Mark. It's brilliant, and, and I really enjoyed the book. I'm really delighted that Marco's put it up uh, for free as a download uh, in the last couple of weeks. So you're getting quite a lot of love for it. But where, where can people get it in the normal course of events?
2: Uh, the best way is to go to Gate 17 Books. Um, so if you Google Gate 17 Books, you can pick up Eddie Mac Eddie Mac there. But you can also pick up a, a number of other Chelsea-related books by some other wonderful authors You know, on that website or through the usual place like amazon.co.uk.
0: There you go. Good stuff, Mark. Um, and uh, Paul Crowder, the lovely Paul Crowder, who I'm sure Mark will know, uh, has said, what's the bloody Twitter handle again? It's at Eddie Mac B-A-W-A, Paul. At Eddie Mac B-A-W-A. Right, now, back on with the 1975-76 season. And one of the one of the things we mentioned earlier on about the, the parlous state of the club's finances uh, in that period of the club's history. Um, and one thing that they needed was, uh, you know, particularly as they just built the East Stand, which has now been open for, you know, it was open for the 74... Seventy-five season, they really needed it full. They really needed the ground full, and what they found uh, was that the ground was very unfull. Mark, I mean, you, you, I think, you, you, you know, you said that many. I'd say about average of twenty thousand, wasn't it? Really, um, I, I never went in those days. Uh, I the first game I went to was in the mid-eighties when we had about fifty thousand in there for a United game, and it was rammed. I, I couldn't comprehend what. The ground would have been like then, with only twenty thousand people in it. What was it like, Mark? Uh,
2: it, it, and it varied because um, you know it, it was even worse than twenty thousand. Like, Jonathan made reference to a whole city game. Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, we'll talk about Crystal Palace later. But the whole city game was a game after we'd lost to Crystal Palace. There was ten thousand people there, and at, at the time, you know, it was the lowest gate for Chelsea for for many a year, other than when they played Burnley in seventy four in the middle of a three day week. So. Yeah, you know, it's you know The shed was always busy, but you, you'd look to the right, and even now I call it the new East Stand, and it was the new East Stand then. How often that stand, you know, was rarely full. And ITV were always a bit naughty as well. But Whenever they covered us on the big match, uh, and God rest his old Brian Moore, his opening intro always seemed to be the camera facing on to the East Stand, a narrative about how few people there and how difficult that is that is for Chelsea. And then the other thing as well. Is that was? I know we're going to talk about the way following. We didn't get many away fans to Stamford Bridge back then either. You know, so other than when we played a big team. So, you know, if we played Sunderland, they would bring some fans. But if you're playing Oxford or Bristol, yeah, maybe Bristol City brought some. Played Oxford or Carlisle. Even we played Bolton. I remember we played Bolton before Christmas, and there was no Bolton fans there. So. Yeah, you know, nowadays you know, we have three thousand away fans at Stamford Bridge. So that all, a little, that all contributed
1: little pocket mark. I always felt there were about ten or fifteen of them. Just below, they got lost below the below the uh, halftime <laughs> scoreboard. Yeah, they could to see the whippets being raced. Yeah. Yeah. And it was because you you could go that end, as I said, and the the old North Stand wasn't being you couldn't sit in the North Stand then. I think it was because then out of the following season, of course, it was demolished and it just sat there like a kind of strange, you know, deflated dinosaur. Um, But you could then just stand in the court. You didn't actually have any interaction with the with the uh, the opposition fans. You didn't there didn't didn't appear to be much running after them if there were only 10 of them and they were. uh, and, and they were um, uh, they they made the effort to come down from Bolton. There wasn't much um, goading of them.
2: And 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 even like you know, even talk about the Oxford game. And uh, you know every time the opposition scored, where they scored first at Oxford, they scored when we were three nil. You had that you're going to get your
0: bugger you know, kicked, kicked in. Sorry, kicked in.
2: Yeah. Okay. I tell you
0: what, actually, Mark. On that point, because yeah. I mean, you know, what, what the people, the punters listing probably won't know is that in the course of you know me putting the script and stuff together, I go through YouTube assiduously and pick out every match from this season. And by the way, people, it's it, you know I don't exactly spend a huge amount of time doing this, so it's not exactly forensic. Just go into Google or YouTube and put in Chelsea seventy-five seventy-six, and you will come up with the exact same matches that I've come up. And I have to say, it's been a delight. Watching old match of the day clips with John Watson commentating, and old big match uh, games with uh, with Brian Moore commentating. But the one thing I've, as always, actually, Mark, I've been drawn to is is the chanting, yeah. and and I'm particularly enamoured of the minute um, any time uh, uh, an opposition player kicks a lump out of a Chelsea player, Chelsea Eggro, Chelsea aggro. Uh, or you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. And there's there's a or- third
2: one as well because obviously uh, when the refereeing decisions went against us, long before who's the in the black, there was and it's your you know your old lady is an oar.
0: It's yeah. an oar. An, an, an oar. Yeah.
2: That's how yeah. Yeah. An or. It wasn't pronounced even correctly. No, no. Yeah. She
0: was a rower, I think they were trying to say.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> she, you rowed you for Thames down yeah. at Putney. Yeah,
2: it was always handy when we played away at Fuller <laughs> <laughs>
0: Your whole team are oars. Your whole mate. team are oars. <laughs> but the, but, and there was a lovely one, actually. Um, I forget the match now. Uh, actually, it was the Southampton match where Gary Locke got uh, absolutely pole and went off on a stretcher. And they had a lovely Gary Locke chant. There were there seemed to be a lot more... Um, I don't know, maybe there weren't more, but there were some really lovely player chants. It was a very different time. I picked up some info, Jonathan, actually, on, on the average attendances. And uh, the average attendance throughout the season was 8,896. The highest league attendance was 29,011 and the lowest was uh, 10,254, which was the whole game, as you were saying. Um <sighs> I'm tempted to say that, you know, this is all down to the fact that Chelsea were in Division 2, that as ever, as always, something we may find out in the future as well, actually, we've always attracted a fairly transient uh, supporter base because of the location, because of the flashiness of the club. So basically, our hardcore support, I think, has always been a lot less than we would like to think. But that would be a bit unfair because this was a time of falling attendances as well and and an economy that was in the toilet so there wasn't a lot of money around so there were a lot of other facts involved weren't
2: there oh definitely people had just come out the three-day week Yeah. so people picked and choose their games so if you if you see the games where we did well it's the bigger teams
0: well as, I think as that's, it, the, that's the the shown
2: thing. by um,
1: by uh, the Palace game of course in the uh, we'll get in to the that the... get to that oh keep the powder dry keep know, the powder I know dry we're there, I was there I was <laughs> there, <were> there. <laughs> I remember But so Jake well. I
0: mean you you know you were a little bit older than Mark in those times so you might have been a bit more aware of the economics about what was going on no, so what, what no no, no you were you were doing French and drama See, I so clearly French not the university I was being
1: at
2: Ponce. and I was working in the greengrocers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, I can't wait to the season where uh, Jonathan makes his debut as uh, in Mr Pitkins and therefore becomes a legend but uh, anyway we digress. You know, was it was it because the the football we were seeing was rubbish because I mean, you know, we look back at I look bit, back Jig. you know it contributes. Yeah.
1: Because contribute. if the team are playing badly, people and people have got difficulty with don't want to spend their money, they won't go. If they, it, it, it's just the way it works, you know, and if they were they were very inconsistent, and you just uh, some of it was they they had some terrible performances. That was the thing. It wasn't it. It, it was turgid and just you thought, and the, oh, they just seemed to give up, and not have any effort. And player, fans can't stand that. They, they, I'm afraid they vote with their feet that way. You, if they if they don't see the effort going in, and they can't see, and the heads go down, they're, they're, they're it, it takes a really, really strong fan to to be consistent. Particularly, if you haven't got a season ticket, you know, uh, somebody just goes onto the terraces. They're going to go. Well, I'm afraid to say they'll go. I'll watch Fulham. I'll go and watch Rangers. These were the two other alternative teams at the time. I mean, I, I, you, you cut me short earlier, but Fulham had had Best and Moore playing for them. They had. They had um, Barton, Alan Mullery. Um, um, Mullery. Yeah, yeah. That's and they were they were very consistent at the time. And. Um, and and Rangers were on the up and up, so you yeah. can see the uh, the attraction.
0: But Rangers came second this season, didn't yes. they? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, wasn't it? The following season, wasn't it? They were second.
0: No, it was this season. It was, was it this season? Oh, right, right, right. By about a point to Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. They, they were, yeah, they
1: they were behind, weren't they? Liverpool in the final game of the season, and then they yeah. they came back to win. So, Do you know what? I, I, I just reflection.
0: about sorry to butt in, John. I remember that as a kid, because I remember. I mean, the BBC's tongue was so far up QPR's ass they used Lou roll to clean their teeth i mean basically they were next door weren't they of course loftus yeah. rose right next to the bbc so they would like have people would like be kind of phoning in on the latest of what was happening on qpr and i remember that last day of the season really really well because qpr should have won the league that year but they were as you say they were picked by liverpool we digress and i'm very but sorry but to also, cut across it's you there
1: talked about Lou roll. of course the thing to remember is the mass the the oh, yes, blue yes, yes, roll that was everywhere yes. As well, yes, that yes, the major thing to be thrown from
0: the shed. It's enough to make you faint in this day and age. That waste of loo roll. A little bit, yeah. People,
1: people with yes, that and probably selling coronavirus, criminal coronavirus. Mate. Sorry, um, coronavirus, Corona beer, I should say. But no, it. What was the advantage, bizarrely, of the dog track still being there? Is you could actually lob uh, a loo roll quite a long way if it had its tail to it, cause, and it would stay there for the whole of the game. That's what was yeah, so bizarre yeah. about it. Was You get people thinking, I'll see if I can beat him or if I can, yeah, I can throw this one these trails of loo roll going out from the shed into, as, near, as near as possible to the goal.
0: Anyway, so I, I think it's interesting about the the, the nature of our, our home support. I mean, it's really interesting because you know it's it's sold to people like me who weren't around then as oh well, you know it was great. It was uh, the boys of Blue in Division Two. We won't be here for long, and you know we had all the young players playing, and that, that's why we like seeing the youth now because it reminds us of that. I mean, if you were at the Eddie Mac. Do that, I was on the launch. Do it was it was the most wonderful amount of blue tinted nostalgia you're ever likely to see, but there was never any of this where it was actually really shit. <laughs> you know, so, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as a youngster, I feel very confused, Mark. No,
1: but I, I think, sorry, one sec to interrupt. Sorry, Mark. I, I think it was
0: because right. now you're confusing me. I said, I said, Mark, I said, Jake not, earlier on a I've Mark apologized. spoke, and now I've it's like Mark and you will
1: But I, what I am I going to do? But no, but part of the, the, the fact is because the following season was so much better. And it was this. Yeah, team, I think so. This season was the so. Well, that's what that's what uh, Eddie Max remembered. But and also because yeah. he said, "I want two seasons." So yeah. it, the very fact that that was the case, and the second season, and also he was very loved as a player. The support really loved him. He he'd been a wonderful player for Chelsea yeah. from uh, yeah. from what sixty three came under Doherty, didn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah. He'd been yeah. so
1: good that there was this feeling for him as well. You know. so...
0: I think that's fair. Actually, that really what we're talking about with the the rory blue tinted nostalgia here is is the is the next season, which we'll get on to next week. Mark, I wanted to ask you. I know you probably a little well, a little bit younger than J.K., but from what I understand, um, and this has been handed down to me by the likes of Neil Smith and and my mate Psycho Phil, who, funnily enough, used to go to the games together quite a lot. Chelsea's away support was very different from the home support and by this time it's it's gathering quite a reputation i think not just for the violence it meted out but also for the the, the huge numbers that would go i mean do you remember much about that do you know much about that
2: no it, it was more cuz i said at 13 i'd I'd started going so i was going to home games i didn't start going away till the following season the season after but you know, you you hear and you hear, you hear the stories afterwards and even start with the first away game. And I got told sort of like, you know, the the story where they played Sunderland, the first away game of the season, take a huge following up there. Uh, And this is where the legend of Stephen Hickmock almost grew um, because the way, the away end at Roker park was split in two. And apparently I think Stephen Hickmock stood up on a crash barrier and basically said, we are superior. We are (laughs) superior to them. Look at how they dress. (laughs) Look how they look, look at how they
0: talk. We're They're all wearing donkey
2: jackets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are Chelsea. And I think there's also a bit um the previous season Manchester United had uh, rampaged through the second division on and off the pitch. You know, so they, they went through and won back promotion. But obviously you saw that, you know, on the news constantly Manchester United bringing huge way followings. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, Chelsea sort of like followed in Manchester United path in the second division. But there were some crazy away followings we brought. I read, like, just researching this, we played York City away the last game of the season. No, I don't think we did, but this is what the journalist said. He said the 9,000 Chelsea fans. And you sort of think we brought 9,000 to York. You know, it might have been a, a six upside down, maybe, but if we bought 9,000 at York back then, that is phenomenal away support. Yeah. And even looking at the, the Fulham game, you know, uh, that was on the sort of games we watched, you know, Huge following at Fulham that equals the eighty three eighty four game when we probably bought about 12,000 to Fulham. So it was the nucleus of our away support for future years. It really started in that season.
1: And of course, I you think... weren't restricted there, were you? Either by the number of... Uh, they wouldn't say only a certain number of fans could get in. If you got in, you paid at the turnstile and you went pay into on the, the day. position. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: I think Mark's point about yeah, United is... Like, um, Sorry, away, Mark.
2: away tickets didn't come to later seasons. Yeah, right. away, you know, They started making games um, all ticket away from home, uh, I think, after Chelsea fans misbehaved at Charlton the following season. Yeah. But up until then, you can pay on the door. Yeah. And they used to.
0: I think Mark's point about United the previous season is very, very pertinent because, you know, Chelsea were one of the, you know, most well known, flashiest sides in the country at the time. It was a real, they were a real glamour side, despite the fact that they'd been rubbish for the last few seasons. So they were a big draw. And, uh, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was first going and, and in later years when I got to know the likes of Smithy and Phil you know the stories that they would tell about the fact that in a way you know i mean we were one of the best supported sides in the country certainly away from home man united i think were were top dogs but we we were a very close second but it was also we were going to all these kind of strange little places we hadn't been for years and years and years i mean or ever in the case of york for example orient i know we'd seen been there in the cup bristol city we hadn't played for a while All these kind of teams. So we were also a bit of a target, weren't we, Mark? So in a sense, it it wasn't all about, well, obviously, Chelsea had the biggest firms and were the biggest thugs around. There was a sense of, you know, uh, safety in numbers, I think, was what was was happening because going out to these kind of outposts of English football, Chelsea, everybody wanted to take them on.
2: Yep, certainly, yeah. Uh, I know know a friend of mine went down to the Plymouth games so that's the first time we went down to Plymouth. You know that was in the latter part of the season, and describing that welcoming committee of Plymouth Argyle fans. So you were reassured when you were getting off the special. You know that there was four or five hundred, you know, other Chelsea fans with you because there was often in these towns a reception committee waiting for you.
0: I, I, funnily enough, I met a bloke on my, I think it was a holiday in the Caribbean, getting on over twenty years ago now. A lovely bloke actually, and he was a big plymouth argyle fan and he talked to me about those those days when chelsea came down there and you know he was a bit naughty he'd been in a few of their firms and uh but he, I, I mean i've never been involved in anything like that god forbid i'm a lover not a fighter but his his respect for me was automatic based on his encounters with Chelsea fans from those days, which was quite <laughs> ironic. But anyway, we digress. But um, I, think,
2: I think the other thing I'd add Chidge is also you talked about our average gate for that season being about eighteen thousand at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about nine games that season away from home where Chelsea gave that team their biggest crowd of the season.
0: Yeah, you know? there you so go. We, we, we you broke go.
2: their attendance records that season. You know, for half hour away games.
0: Yeah, there you go. All right, now, there was one game uh, which kind of was rather redolent of the old days. This is something I was I was actually watching this on YouTube uh, when Mark phoned me up earlier on. Uh, and this was uh, when we drew <coughs> Crystal Palace. I think it was, the, what, the fifth round of the FA Cup? Yep. So the one before the quarterfinals. Um, and uh, we had 55,000 in there, and it was redolent of the old days. Put this into a bit of context for you people. Crystal Palace were in the third division, uh, but they were managed by the very flamboyant Malcolm Allison, who had recently been the uh, the, the Man City manager, had almost won them the title, but kind of screwed up by buying buying Rodney Marsh. Uh, and he was larger than life. He used to he he, he lived on a diet of uh, cigars and champagne, nothing else. He didn't eat anything else or drink anything else, only champagne. And he smoked big fat cigars. And he had a big fur coat and a fedora hat, a big white fedora or cream fedora hat. Uh, and of course, his assistant manager was Terry Venables, ex of Chelsea, um, and he'd just beat his third division side had just beaten the mighty Leeds United in the round previous two hours, and he'd had this. The media loved him, and and they were blowing smoke up his arse. So Malcolm would always go around at the stadium and make a prediction of the score. Palace would always win, of course, and he did the same thing when Palace came to Stamford Bridge. I would imagine, although I wasn't there, and I'll ask these chaps in a minute, that we were. Heavily fancied to beat them. Allison does a 3-2 uh, score prediction, <clears throat> but the two is directed as a two fingers to the shed end. You can imagine that that went down like a cup of cold sick. Um, by the end of the first half, Chelsea find themselves 2-0 behind. Uh, Peter Taylor involved in both the goals. One's an excellent shot from outside the box. The other was an assist, which I think hit the bar and then... Went in, or maybe I'm thinking of another game. But Where was.
1: It hit the bar. Yeah. Then uh, was it? Ch- was it? <coughs> Chast- Nicky Chatham scored. scored. Yeah. Chatterton, That's right. Yeah. It, did, yeah. It? It, did, yeah.
0: it did, didn't it? It did. It did, didn't it? It looked like it had gone in anyway. Actually, wasn't yeah. uh, on the thing well, I, I was watching earlier on. All the
1: players stopped as a consequence. They thought it. Had yeah.
0: Gone in, it? So we're two 0 down. Uh, we're going out of the cup. I'm going to let you two pick it up, Jonathan. Um i would as i said i'd imagine that chelsea were favorites to win this by a country mile even though you know we were in the second division My
1: memory of the of the match was that we were sort of all over them really and i think they we were they, and i think we once again just gave the ball away and uh, um and they just caught on the break. attacked and taylor was a class apart you know he eventually played for england he was uh he was completely brilliant and um um, just eased past players. Funny enough, he, he could ease past players in a way that Charlie Cook used to be able to do it. He had a very similar kind of swagger and uh, and then a very accurate shot. So, um, you know, what more would you want? And he, uh, his, um, his, uh, his, his, both the second goal that he scored was just terrific, but that was from a breakaway. So um, there was always the feeling that you might, Chelsea might come back in. I remember there being a, a, a great amount of, um, Pressure in the second half, and uh, and we and we scored. Who scored the? Who scored their goal? Wilkins, Wilkins great that's goal. Right, that's right. Yeah, Wilkins, who I was so rude about before.
0: That's um, right. He, yeah. but he, captain, he, leader, legend, he mate. Could,
1: uh, he could pull it out of the bag occasionally. Yeah, And yeah. then, of course, Steve Wick scored with a header.
0: And and, uh, and, the, and his celebration looked like he'd won the World he, Cup. Well, it was brilliant. That, well, exactly what I was about to say. I
1: remember, remember being there with him and thinking, "That's slightly over the top, isn't it?" <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Come on, come on, please, yes, yes, yes. And of course, we should have won it. But then, of course, uh, another com- a wonderful piece of brilliance from Taylor. It was actually a, it was a very clever free kick because he uh, somebody did a kind of fake run at it, and everybody sort of went, whoa, whoa, and then all he did was just just place it beautifully into the corner. He was, I mean, he was absolutely a class act, Taylor. You could tell there was, what on earth he was doing playing for them uh, was was beyond me, but he uh, he, he was uh, really terrific.
0: Terrific player. Mark, what are your memories of that match? I mean, I, I I wasn't there, but watching it again today, I can't believe how fantastic the atmosphere really was. It was proper, wasn't it? Oh. I
2: think my, my memory of the match was at that point, it was the biggest crowd I'd ever been in at Stamford Bridge. Like yeah. the two preceding home games, we played West Brom at home, and the game before that, we played Oldham at home. So there were two games before, and there was about 15,000 for both those games. And we went from 15,000 where you could walk up you know, pay your 35 pence and go straight in. And Brian Mears, to his credit, really pushed this game. From the moment we beat um, York City in the previous round, Brian Mears was pushing this game saying, we can get 50,000, we can get, it'll be just like the old days. And he was right. You know, all the seats were sold out. So you had to get there early to get in the shed. And like, you know, we got there about half past one. And it's like the main entrance is now, and I'd never seen a crowd like that ever before, never seen. And it was scary. It was at uh, 13 years of age, trying to get in. It took about half an hour, 45 minutes of fighting your way through. They had police officers across the concourse and they were only letting two or three people at a time. People were getting crushed. You were in the at, shed? Yeah, it was, this is trying to get into the shed end. Then I, I, then I got in and I, you make the point about Malcolm Allison. I literally got in at about quarter past two to see Allison coming around doing the 3-2. I remember that so well. the names that they, that they called it. But it was just a brilliant game. Yeah, we played so... That was probably the best we played that season. That, yeah, we were up and down in so many games. And um, I think I read the press report, and I can't remember which journalist said, Peter Taylor only had four touches in that game. You know, Chelsea did the homework on Taylor and Ron Harris and Gary Locke, when he moved from wing to wing, did a really good job except for four occasions. And on three of those occasions, they got a goal from it. You know, we played so well, when it got to 2-2, the noise in Stamford Bridge, when Steve Wicks equalised. was phenomenal,
1: wasn't it? You know, yeah.
2: 50,000 people in the bridge, the, the noise it was making. And you thought at that point, there was 15 minutes ago, there was only one team left in the game and we were going to win. And then a couple of minutes later, Peter Taylor takes that free kick. It's a brilliant goal, and it just knocked the stuffing out of Chelsea and knocked the stuffing out of the ground. You know, um, it was it was a great game to watch, but it also, you know, it's it's how how we, how we lost that day. Real real tragedy because you know if we'd gone past Palace, we'd have had I think Sunderland in the next round. Yeah, yeah. Who Winnable. knows? Who knows? In yeah.
1: Southampton.
2: And Southampton in the semi
0: final, and you'd have been there, Chidge. Well, yeah, but probably probably not in the shed end, as I ended up being. <laughs> but but probably not
1: in probably not at Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, true. indeed, not. It yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But have been Highbury, I expect in those yeah. days, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, but there you go. It was amazing watching that back on YouTube. I have to say. Now, um, before we kind of kind of wrap this up with a bit of a summary of what we thought, I, I think you know, just for Jonathan's benefit, really, I, yeah. Mark and I are going to eulogise Sir Butch of Ray Wilkins. because, you know, he's 18 years old. He comes into the side 18 years old. He's made captain by Eddie in a very difficult match the preceding season. This season, you want to get an idea of how important he was to a side. And This is as an 18-stroke 19-year-old. Actually, the same age, even younger than you were then, Jonathan. That's how... Young he was. No, I was a very F-
1: young twenty, chid.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you were you doing French and uh, drama? And as you, by your own admission, was a Ponce, yeah. not not a professional football no, no, player. No,
1: not a Ponce. I was pontsing about. Are
0: was- oh, you a poncing about? Okay, just wanted to clarify yeah, that. I would would hate would hate for I would hate to hit, have a lawsuit from you later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Ray is our leading appearance maker <clears throat> with forty seven. He's our top goal scorer with twelve. And and I think you know the standout player of the season, Mark. The question I have really is. Was this season the making of him? Do you think
2: it certainly was the beginning of you know the legend that is Ray Wilkins? Um, uh, obviously, the seventy six seven season. I think it was helped by the formation Eddie Mac plays the following season. But that season, he was you know for eighteen years of age a remarkable player. And I think there's some sort of key moments in there. Um, he misses three penalties you know That's during right. the course yeah. of the season. Yeah. One uh, of the misses... reasons I was so fed up with him.
1: <laughs> let me tell you.
2: Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he, he misses, but each time he misses, he comes back and, and takes a penalty. And there was a run where he taken penalties. Um, so he had the courage to do that 18, where other people who might have missed the penalty might not take another penalty again. Mm. The Blackburn home game, last part of the season, Jock's in the side. We beat Blackburn 3 uh, 1. Ray scores, I think, two of the goals from memory. And Eddie McCready takes him off. So he substitutes him. Uh, and I think it's one of the few times in Ray's career he was ever substituted. And he goes in after the game to see Eddie McCready to sort of you know challenge Eddie McCready why he got substituted because he was playing well, he got the man of the match, you know, and Chelsea were winning. And Eddie McCready said, Did you hear the crowd cheering your name when I took you off at 10 minutes ago? That's why I substituted you. He was just just telling Ray, you know, because I think Ray lacked a bit of confidence at times, you know, you know, you know, he took all that responsibility on and there was a manager doing a marvellous thing for him and said, they love you here, you know, and that just that little gesture, I think, meant, meant the world to, to Ray, you know, and I, again, yeah, you know, the other thing is he, he was our top scorer. He got some good yeah. goals that season and when I interviewed him for the book, which was probably and all the players I interviewed was the one interview I was looking forward to doing. And, you know, they, they say, never, never meet your idols. Oh, I was so glad mm-hmm. I met that man. Now, that afternoon I spent in his company was just a terrific way to spend two hours. And I asked him what was the best goal, because he scored lots of goals for us. And his best goal that season was Plymouth Argyle at home. We drew 2-2. He scored a diving header against Plymouth Argyle. <laughs> you know, Ray Wilkins didn't get many goals with his head. And he said in all of his time playing for Chelsea, and you think of the goals you scored, the Palace goal, yeah. the Sheffield United goal the following season, the Hereford United goal. That goal, you know, the goal was the best goal he uh, ever scored for Chelsea. He was a tremendous player. Yeah, And at 13 years of age, I saw as he played for us only a couple of times, he was my idol that season. Absolutely,
0: 100%. Yeah, he became mine, Mark, you know, the following season and the one after that really vicariously through watching the big match, you know, and... Like you, I very luckily got to meet him, um, and uh, one of the nicest people you'll ever would have ever met in football. And there's, there's also
2: guy. a bit of humility about Ray. I think earlier yeah. in the season he was interviewed by Brian Moore. Yeah, you know, on, on the big match, I can't remember. Yeah. Was it was it the Carlisle United?
0: Yeah, yeah and I he think was so. Just
2: so modest, you know. Brian Moore was tr- Brian Moore was trying to get some information out of him and what he did, and he sort of said like, "Oh, do you go out?" Yeah, you know, with your brother Graham, They said, "Oh, occasionally go out, you know, go play snooker." And well, are you going out with him tonight or something? And I think he says, "Oh no, Graham's courting." Mm. Yeah, it was just <laughs> it's such a beautiful term. Graham's courting. He's got a girlfriend.
0: <laughs> there was a lovely bit in that where Brian Moore says, "So anyway, is it is it Ray or is it Butch?" And 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 Ray kind of sits there wistfully, looks at him He says, "I, I think Ray will do, Brian." Yes. <laughs> This is an 18-year-old kid. It's just amazing. Um, Just look, just to summarise all of this, uh, I mean, one point we haven't really talked about Ian Hutchinson. It was his swan song and what an amazing player he was for Chelsea in in many senses. Sad seem go. We'd been deprived so much of of him at his best. Uh, It was also, because we finished 11th that season, Uh, we had that horrible run at the end as we were talking about earlier and that was our lowest finish in our history at that point. But in amongst these things chaps um you know could you see jonathan any signs of recovery or or, or did it still feel absolutely dire the future
1: um uh, once again one starts the next season thinking they'll get promoted you can't not you know it's 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 what you do as a fan and it being chelsea and you think they're they're uh, they're good enough so um I, I I felt I thought it was going to be difficult, but um, I don't think dire. No, I think they'd they'd been uh, as I said turned a corner. They'd been. Uh, I think Finiston. The arrival of Finiston was something of great interest because he just, uh, I think, as we've established, he 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 could he could put the ball away in a way that um, others couldn't, and I think that that Maybank just. Uh, um, Gave way, didn't he? Was he transferred at the end of that season? Mark, I can't remember. Did he?
2: He went. He went on loan the following season to Fulham. Oh, well, Fulham. Yeah. Of he yeah. Did. So he joined Fulham the following season. Yeah. I think his last game for us the following season I think might have been Millwall at home. Yeah. He left in about the February.
0: Yeah. Of course, Tommy Langley breaks through, doesn't he? That next well, season, which. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that. I mean, Mark, kind of same question for you, really. I mean, could you see the signs of recovery? I mean, I think you were saying you could earlier on, and we were yeah, mentioning and, and, Super I, I think, Jock then. And
2: I think there was a key game, and I, I think it was just after Jock came in, we played Southampton at home, because um, Southampton were FA Cup semi-finalists. They just missed out on promotion that year. And I think, we, you know, we played well against Southampton. And I was too young to go, but there was a game later on, and by now Ray Lewington is in the side and Ray Lewington is playing the McAuley role before McAuley probably was even born, and that McAuley role freed Ray Wilkins up even more, and we saw the benefits of that the future season where Ray Wilkins was always playing in a number, number 10 role, and so that became our format, and we played Bristol City away, and Bristol City, we were going for promotion, and all the reports of that game afterwards, you read the press reports on the Bounder Friday website, it actually said that Chelsea were the better side, so although Bristol took the lead twice, we came back first with a Kenny Swain goal, which is an absolutely Yeah, brilliant goal. goal. And then from a Ray Wilkins corner, there's a Gary Stanley header. And each time Chelsea came back and finished the stronger side. Yeah. So although we didn't win in the last eight games, there, there, there were signs there. And I think, I think there, was a, there was another game um, shortly after we played Luton Town at home. Yeah, you know, We drew 2-2, but Peter Benetti got injured in the first half. And Bill Garner went in goal. Went in
1: goal, didn't he? Yeah. He went
2: in goal, but yet we still, with ten men, you know, we gave Luton a game, and we were unlucky not to win that game. So the, the, the signs the signs were there. But as I said earlier, I think we had our stabilised eleven for the following season.
0: Indeed. Well, I can't wait uh, to talk about that, which we will do uh, next week. Now, before we go to uh, the good old Part Four, um, just a very quick plug for uh, the My Chelsea. Things that we do on a Friday. Uh we You had the dubious honour of having to listen listen to me waffle on for over an hour last Friday talking to Tony Glover. Uh, I'm not sure who it is this week because I've yet to record it, but hopefully uh, we'll have one out for you on the on the Friday. So look forward to that. And uh, we it might actually be Alex Churchill. She keeps on avoiding me, probably because she's so flaming busy doing her history. Excuse me, her history hack podcasts, which are absolutely brilliant. I listened to uh, one of her band of brothers. Once this afternoon when I was out for me constitutional and it was absolutely brilliant she's done a fantastic job uh, I, I now look at her I won't be as rude to her when she's next on the Chelsea fan cast because she's clearly a, a woman of greater talents than me I can tell you she's fantastic and anyway if you want to go and listen if you like history go to historyhack.podbean.com if you like Band of Brothers and Sharp and Hornblower and that kind of stuff she's done some great episodes with them with all the cast Ian Griffith blokey plays archie half of the band of brothers cast they are amazing so check it out people check it out